What I think can happen is that people who suddenly realize that you can fairly easily manipulate this response through this weird subculture on YouTube, suddenly the question is, is the presence of God that I think I feel in my body just this like electricity that anybody can make me feel? And it's not so much anymore about like whether or not you feel something, but what the feeling means. You are listening to the Down the Wormhole podcast, exploring the strange and fascinating relationship between science and religion. This week, our hosts are... Ian Benz, Associate Professor of Elementary Science Education at UNC Charlotte. And one of my favorite sounds is the wind, like strong wind in the trees while also raining. Zach Jackson, UCC pastor in Reading, Pennsylvania. My favorite sound is that distinct gurgle that my coffee maker makes when it is done. Kendra Holtmore, PhD student at Boston University. And one of my favorite sounds is the sound of rustling leaves. <laughs> Adam Pryor, I teach at Bethany College in Lindsborg, Kansas. One of my favorite sounds at least right now, is the deep rhythmic breathing of our baby when he's asleep and not screaming. (laughs) 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 Ah, That's good stuff. (laughs) I I can relate to that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Feels right. I feel like the contrast to screaming is important in that too. There it is. It's very important. (laughs) <laughs> if it were just yeah. deep rhythmic breathing, that wouldn't have the same effect. But if your favorite sound was deep rhythmic breathing, then that would be a little off-putting. Just because yeah, it's oh also my. like a murderer, right? Like that that's your favorite like. sound. It is a little so vaguely threatening. Different ways you could take that. <laughs> same. But Kendra, hey, why are we talking about deep rhythmic breathing <laughs> <Yeah>. today? <laughs> uh, yeah. Kendra, you, can you explain to us why we're talking about heavy breathing? Go. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about heavy breathing today. Uh, we today are going to talk about <laughs> ASMR. I don't know what that's going to sound like when Zach <laughs> ends it. It's going to sound magnificent. <laughs> Um, And those of you who may not know what ASMR is, ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. ASMR is the shorthand for that. But if you have never watched a YouTube video of someone with beautifully manicured fingernails tapping (laughs) on a microphone... You don't know what you're missing <laughs> because that is uh, the most common ASMR uh, video, probably, are these uh, ASMRists, as they're called, who make videos that range from, you know, like five to 10 minutes to sometimes compilation videos that go well over two hours. And these people use their high powered mics and create these sounds that could be tapping or crunching or whispering. Um, But the point is that the sound through the mic is very isolated and loud. And in a lot of people who are sensitive to those sounds, it actually creates this really interesting brain response. And it feels like brain tingles. Um, People describe them different ways. But uh, for a lot of people, it starts near the back of the head and might travel down your neck and into your spine a little bit. Um, Some people, uh, like I think I I feel it sometimes closer to my forehead, but these brain tingles are the effect of listening to these various uh, loud, isolated sounds. And this I know is going to sound so strange if you've never watched an ASMR video. So maybe <laughs> you might want to pause and go watch one of those first and then come back. Yeah, we'll uh, put some good examples in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, good. That's a, that's a good call. 
But uh, there's a reason that we're talking about this very strange uh, YouTube subculture. And I think in order to make sense of it, I want to describe um, a day I had several years ago uh, that led me into this interest in uh, the phenomenon of ASMR. So this was, uh, I don't know, it feels like maybe a decade ago, but <laughs> it's weird to say a decade ago because that makes in me feel time. really Just old. Just get used to it yesterday. But no, this really probably was close to a decade ago. <laughs> I was on a band retreat for the church that I had been attending. And we went on the band retreat to, you know, bond, relax, uh, play music together, all those kinds of things. And it was a couple of days and it was this really beautiful house um, and a family that were hosting us. And they had a lot of land. And one morning, the band woke up, had breakfast together, and then we were to go out into the several acres of land and find a nice quiet corner to ourselves and just journal or just do do whatever. Um, I decided to journal and sit quietly and just reflect and maybe, you know, come up with notes to improve the band or notes for the church to... Um, you know, incorporate music in different ways. And so um, I'm sitting in this small uh, circle of trees. There's a, a clearing in between many trees and I'm sitting in the middle and I'm journaling and it's a beautiful day. Uh, it's a little bit cloudy. There's a light breeze and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I just feel this warm, I guess you could call it a warm, tingly sensation. And it, it just, the way I described it at the time was like a feeling of peace. And it wasn't anything that major, um, but to me it felt uh, very spiritual. And I think it was just a combination of factors of like where I was sitting and uh, being in nature, being alone. I couldn't see the house or any of uh, the other band members who were with us on that weekend trip. And uh, yeah, it just felt warm and I felt comforted and uh, rejuvenated, but it was a feeling that I, I had felt several times before in my life, but it felt heightened in that moment, sitting in that uh, little clearing surrounded by trees uh, with the breeze. And so I have had that memory for many years now. Um, and several years later, I would be sitting on my couch, going down some weird rabbit hole on YouTube, and I would stumble across a video called ASMR, 40 Triggers, or some title that I don't remember, and I remember clicking on it and watching this like 10-minute video that was the strangest thing I'd ever stumbled across, and it was just people like crinkling trash in their hands and tapping on a table, uh, whispering into the microphone, uh, tapping the back of a wooden brush, uh, squeezing silly putty, doing all these strange things with these random objects. But as I was listening, I had my headphones in and the volume was, you know, pretty high. And I started to feel this brain tingly sensation that reminded me of the moment that I had been sitting in that clearing between the trees several years prior. And I thought that was so strange. And so in that moment, um, I learned about ASMR and was so fascinated by it because it is so weird that I started reading about it. And I started wondering if there's something about uh, sounds and the way that these particular sounds are manipulated in these YouTube videos to create a sensation in a person's head and body, if that is something that people have figured out how to like heighten the sensation, but that those sounds are not actually uh, that unusual or disconnected from regular life and the things that people feel in their bodies during um, religious or spiritual experiences. And so 
that's the connection that I have today. And the reason I ask about your favorite sounds and the reason that I say wrestling trees is because that for me is apparently uh, a, one of my potential triggers of this ASMR response uh, that I have uh, connected to and have since felt in different kinds of ASMR videos that try to replicate a sound that feels very similar to the rustling trees that you hear out in nature sometimes. So that is my uh, like introduction into why I think this is really uh, an interesting topic that is um, not necessarily a, a mainstream conversation, but there is something to it, I think, that um, YouTube, in this case, is the way people are facilitating these experiences. But I think the larger question is, how do we use technologies to manipulate our senses, um, to have experiences? And does this make you uncomfortable because it makes you feel like uh, we're having a conversation about reducing religious or spiritual experiences? Or for some people, does this feel like exciting new insight into how our bodies work and feel um, our own versions of spirituality? Because people fall on different sides of that conversation. So that's my opening statement, I guess. Um, I, I can say more things, but I, I think I'll pause here uh, in case you'd like to make any comments. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I to start, uh, have any of you watched an ASMR video and how did you feel? Like, were you sensitive to it? What kind of video did you watch? What do you think? I am. Um... I did watch one of the ones from the the article you sent us from Vox, and it was the um, the gentle whispering the that woman, and so I kind of watched like the intro one that she has. I think her name is Maria. I think Maria. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was um uh, was fascinated by it for several reasons. One, like you know, for lo logistics and production capability reasoning i was really impressed with the fact that how well she uses that that you know if when you have i get now why you told us we need to have our headphones in um because of the 3d effect with the microphone that i doubt you would get if you were just listening to it through a regular speaker but knowing i mean and then not even that her ability to use the screen effectively to not just give you the audit the you know audio in your right ear, for example, but also too, she would move to that side of the screen to give you that visual. And so I can see how, especially as someone who's, you know, being that I'm embracing meditation and learning more about it, that it is a very meditative experience. So even that three minute video that I watched that I think if you just kind of allow yourself to watch, to listen and watch it, I was, I was impressed. And I definitely got that tingly feeling that they talk about in the articles and that you referred to. Um, I've not been able to get into a lot of them, but I am very intrigued by it. And uh, the rustling of the paper stuff, I've not, I've, you know, I've listened to that maybe just a small amount, but it's fascinating what people have done with it. It really is. Yeah. The, and the I feel like might... I should interject. Oh, nope. I, I, just quickly. Um, I feel like I should interject uh, after listening to Ian t to just say a little bit about like, why do people listen to these videos? Um, because I stumbled into it, but wasn't actively seeking it. And it's worth noting that people like ASMR followers, some of them have millions of views and just like so many people that this really is a subculture of YouTube. But the reason people uh, listen to it primarily is for reducing anxiety for some people. Mm -hmm. um, for others, it helps them fall asleep. For others, it's just a really weird experience to watch something that makes your head tingle. And so people just watch it for fun because it's really uh, interesting to like have that experience. There are all kinds of, of reasons that people could be drawn to it, but it's mostly uh, a very relaxing experience. And some people um, may even play the video on YouTube, but just listen to it and uh, not really watch it, but just fall asleep.
So, yeah, Zach, were you about to jump in? I was. I was actually uh, super excited when you suggested that we talk about this, because this is something that I also stumbled upon probably a couple of years ago. Or, I don't know. I, time passes so strangely. It could have been yesterday. It could have been a decade. Who knows? But <laughs> I have I, I have lived most of my life with um, clinical depression, and I've spent the past couple of years trying to find the right medications and therapies. So, I've, I mean, I've tried to pray it away, to meditate it away, just to aromatherapies, all the things that people would suggest. And so I had stumbled upon it at one point as a potential therapy for, uh, for depression, because you're one of the things about depression, uh, clinical depression, is that it's not, it's not just a sadness. If anything, it's a lack of sadness. It's a lack of anything, which total aside that depression should have a different word than depressed because being depressed and having depression are it's in two entirely different experiences but so in an attempt to feel something uh, i i had looked it up at one point and it was weird and i still find most of them weird and some of them actually do uh, trigger something in me usually like like the crinkling paper um, and, and that, that sort of sound a lot more than the voices and especially the whispers, they make me feel very uncomfortable <laughs> because, which I would like for you to, I, I think we need to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. Okay. <laughs> I think the, the like whispers and the really slow calm voices make me feel like there's an intimacy with this stranger and there's a part of my relational alarm system that starts to go off and says you don't know this person you should not be this intimate with this person. You should not be I, whispering to each other. <laughs> you should not be whispering to each other because who do you whisper to? Who do you talk in hushed tones to, but somebody that you're intimate with and that you're close enough to physically to be able to communicate that way. So it's, and, and a lot of the, the people who write about this and who are into it will say, this is not sexual at all. And if anything, it's more intimate than like, sexual content would be because it's it's so close and it's so gentle and it's so it's off-putting to me in that way so i kind of like the impersonal paper rustling and play-doh the <laughs> <laughs> silly putty is what it was play-doh doesn't really make a sound it is interesting though to to note the intimacy of the whispers and even some of the role-playing videos, which are like a different branch mm. of ASMR. Because like I said before, many many of the videos you'll click on, all you'll see is like the bottom of someone's face and their nails tapping on various things. But other videos, um, many of which have the whispering element, uh, are also someone who is role-playing some kind of scenario that usually has to do with like personal grooming. Um, so some of the role play videos are someone who will uh, pretend to give you a haircut and uh, they'll whisper into the mic as they're pretending to, you know, like reach through your screen and cut your hair. Um, other role play videos are, um, you know, giving massages or, or something like that. And uh, there aren't that many uh, studies done on ASMR. It's still sort of an emerging uh, field of research, but there was one article that uh, referenced how perhaps one of the reasons that some people are really sensitive to the whispers and that like intimacy that people like Zach and myself as well are a little bit creeped out by is that the um, the intimacy, the whispers, it it imitates uh, someone who is giving um, care and can trigger memories back to when you were a child and mm. 
uh, a caregiver is holding you or hugging you or just being cared for by anyone that you love and have this intimacy, uh, like Zach was referring to earlier. Um, you know, you can think about when you were a kid and well, this was not my experience because my mother really scraped through my hair when she tried to brush it. But some people perhaps had a mother who was very gentle with the hairbrush. And people I know love having their hair brushed. That's not my experience. Uh, and so I learned very quickly to brush and braid my own hair as a child. That's besides the point. The point is that some of these videos um, are acting out caretaking scenarios and that that triggers the sense of comfort and warmth mm. And so might be connected to the, the physiological response of the brain tingles. And this isn't um, like a totally established fact, but this is one of the theories that has been thrown out about why the, the intimacy and the whispering is actually really appealing to some people. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, again, looking at when you, I see the, the power of it, like helping you, because even the, the quick two to three minute video I listened to was very relaxing and calming. And just, you know, it just kind of helped almost like center me, right? And I know there's a lot, a lot of talk about it being used to help people go to sleep. And even when you type in like ASMR on Google, there's a lot of things that pop up about sleeping. Uh, the intimacy aspect of it, like I, I watched a little bit of one of the ones where you're like at a salon and they're doing your hair and, you know, those types of things. And I, I found it very interesting because, again, it goes back to the how effective these artists are with their work of how well they use that camera and that microphone to put you in that space to help you get into there and get into a more, again, a meditative experience. It's just so interesting. And yes, the whispering, it weirded me out some too, because, you know, that's supposed to be a very intimate experience that you, well, you think of it that way as, you know, intimacy in, in that particular way. But but even like the brushing of the hair, you know, that's used a lot of times and uh, with you and a partner, for example, with intimacy. And so I can still see how some people are weirded out about that. And I think I was saying before we started recording how I found it interesting that there really does, and I put one of these uh, links in our show notes, but there really is a, a not like a battle, but a, a big back and forth brewing about how people are using now ASMR for pornographic purposes. And that seems to bother a lot of the ASMR purists, which I find very interesting. Because I, again, they're taking that word intimacy and using what we normally think of with intimacy and applying that to everything. So I mean, now that I'm done talking about intimacy, Adam, go. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, I love the segues that we have. Uh, no. And so I... I, I I also like tried to do some listening. It did. I'm not gonna lie. It, it put me to sleep a couple of times, <laughs> um, so which works. I think is actually kind of the point. So maybe mm -hmm. it works. It, it's also like a factor of like when I was doing. Like it was like really, I was trying to like get ready and think about like what we were going to talk about, and I was listening, and it was late at night, and it was fairly calming. Not gonna lie, um, mm -hmm. but I think like so. One of the things that's interesting to me about is that is the thing that Ian started with, right? Like, because I didn't have my headphones in when I did it at first. And I was like, mm. this is weird. Why would people do this? And then I put the headphones in and I was like, oh, this is this is very different now. Like suddenly this is this is a, a sort of like the way your body interacts with the technology is what was sort of most fascinating to me about it, that you could have that mm -hmm. huge of a difference. And I think that has something to do with that intimacy, right? Like the, the the intimacy is almost tied into this sort of like way in which our bodies do or don't interact with the technology. So like the whispering actually doesn't I I don't have that sort of sense of it being like intimate and and like I didn't have like a guard that went up when that was going on. I actually found it pretty relaxing. The rustling papers and like spoons on bowls was like the most irritating set of sounds I could have possibly imagined. Like there was oh, nothing relaxing about it at all. I, I just wanted it to stop. Um, <laughs> I like forced myself to listen to it for a while to see if it would change, but nope, it was still irritating uh, five minutes later. So I don't like, 
but I also didn't have like the, maybe I'm just like polyamorous. I don't know. But like, I didn't have the like weird, like <laughs> sort of like relationship throw up piece with the, with the like whispering. I did find the haircutting stuff a little strange just cause I was like, I don't yeah. like, like seeing people that close anyway, which I've huh. now been paying attention to while we were on this podcast that I sit very, very far back from the camera compared to the rest of you. Um, oh, you do. Which, I like to block out the background. <laughs> I'm all about getting up close and personal. Right. Nope. I, I, the best part about having this microphone stand in my office is that I can sit way, way, way far back during meetings. And it makes me feel much, much more comfortable because I'm not as close to you. Um, Ooh. But, we'll but it is. We'll that someday. Yeah, right. <laughs> Next time we're together, I'm sitting right next to you. I'm going to sit in your feet. lap. <laughs> Social distancing. Six feet all the time. <laughs> Even virtually, it should be six feet. That's more comfortable. <laughs> um, no, but I, I do think this is really like the the connection to religious experience is, is I think really like interesting too. Like I was trying to imagine like what would an ASMR ritual look like? Like if you suddenly started right. giving people digital communion in an ASMR fashion, what would happen? So, so um, this is what's so interesting that I so I gave. Uh, my wife last night, the my noise canceling headphones, and I put on one of these videos, and I said, "I just need your honest opinion." And within a couple of seconds, she threw the headphones at me, and she said, "No, I can't do this. This is like <laughs> nails on a chalkboard to me. I can't. This is so weird." And we tried to unpack it a little bit, and some of it was that weird intimacy, which, by the way, uh, I would love to see a study of people who went through true love waits as a teenager and then shown <laughs> ASMR videos. And if that like alarm of intimacy goes off uh, versus people huh. who, who didn't, who had more of a sex positive upbringing or whatnot, but that's a whole different topic. Um, maybe, maybe uh, a, a dissertation topic in the future for uh, one of our listeners, please <laughs> quickly. Anyway. So then we started to unpack like, what is going on in this? What, why do people enjoy this? And, and it was like this, this light went off and she realized that uh, every Tuesday and Thursday night since the lockdown started, my wife has been hosting a, a, a time of prayer and meditation at um, 8.30. I should know this. It's twice a week um, on her church's Facebook Live. And she sets up, a, she turns the lights off. She sets up a, a camera at a candle and a, uh, like a picture of a cross. There's this really gentle meditative droning music in the background from this uh, instrumental Taize station. And she will read scripture just slowly and gently. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Amen. And then like the silence. And then if anyone has any prayer requests you'd like us to pray for at the end here, leave them in the comments and we'll get to them later. And she does this for a half hour and people, people join in the evenings and people have said how helpful it is and how centering and relaxing and spiritual they feel. She's trying to emulate something that we've lost from our in-person services, but at the same time, almost creating something new because it is so much more intimate to have just the pastor in your ears talking quietly softly reading scriptures, offering prayers with music in the background and just that slow, low flickering flame. And she was like, oh my gosh, am I doing ASMR on <laughs> like prayer time? I thought, oh, maybe, oh my goodness. We might be accidentally doing ASMR prayer time. <laughs> and I love those videos. They're, her videos, like they're really calming. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's just funny to imagine the moment where she throws the headphones off and says, "I can't take mm -hmm. this," and the realization that maybe she's doing that herself already. It's, it's really funny. It's just like a different context. Yeah, but you don't see her, and you don't see her hands or her face. All you see is the candle and the cross, 
And so it's the focus is taken off of the person doing it and onto the flame mm. symbolizing the spirit and the cross symbolizing Jesus. And um, I guess she needs one more to be properly Trinitarian, but it's, it's, <laughs> It, 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 I think maybe that removes that awkward intimacy because there's not a person there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, and it is interesting. I mean, I in reading different like academic sources, but also just scouring the weird corners of the internet um, through like, <laughs> YouTube comments or Reddit, you find people again and again who actually like stumble across ASMR somehow, but they also have some kind of religious background. And some of these people in their um, comment conversations have this moment where they go, wait, is this ritual that I've been doing my whole life? Is that just an ASMR response? And for some people, Hmm. it's a a little disappointing, I think, because they're like, have I been duped? Hmm. (laughs) And for other people... I think it's just um, an extra layer of insight into how our bodies experience the world. And so that's, that's, I think the most interesting part to me is how people actually respond to like knowing what ASMR is and how it potentially connects to the way that they experience their like religious communities. Because I think in addition to what you're describing, Zach, there are also people who talk about having um, some kind of ASMR response whenever they are in their churches and um, partaking of communion or having some kind of uh, anointing of oil and just the soothing, calming effect of having someone, you know, like touch their forehead or, you know, like have soft, slow motion uh, and moving objects that that can trigger a response. And there are also people on the other side who actually through the standard ASMR channels will use intentionally uh, like religious objects to create their ASMR videos. So they're not in um, a religious institutional setting, but they are making an ASMR videos and they're tapping on Tibetan singing bowls for meditation. Mm -hmm. And other people who actually just create uh, entire channels where they are whisper reading uh, scripture passages and uh, do ASMR just like scripture readings. Um, And so for some people, that's very strange and maybe not the way that they want to experience something that is uh, religious or spiritual to them if that's not If there's something about the like the physiological response, or even just what we've already talked about with being a little bit turned off by the the whispering, but for others, it's this interesting combination of features where you get to read uh, scripture and also have this interesting layer of uh, an ASMR artist trying to elicit this ASMR response. And so, in some ways, it I could see it being even more meaningful or um, meaningful in a different way uh, that. I think is a really interesting. Hi, this is Rabbi Jeff Middleman, founding director of Sinai and Synapses. Down the Wormhole came out of our Interfaith Fellowship, but Sinai and Synapses also has projects directed towards Judaism and science. We have an open application for our project Scientists in Synagogues, which would give your community $3,600 to do work on Judaism and science. The deadline is July 23rd, and you can see it at sinaiandsynapses.org. Thanks very much. Well, and I think if I may, you're talking about with the, and I'm looking at the um, the, the little article that you wrote, um, and because it made me think about it too, like, with ASMR scene, you know, and here you talk about how, you know, the response of some Christians and how, and based on, you know, what we've already been talking about too, to the response of the intimacy of it all, you know, you say in here that, you know, Christians are one, some, some seems like some Christians are wondering, you know, should we even be doing this or not as Christians, which has led others to create Christian ASMR content 
like you were just kind of referring to. I think that's interesting because it makes me wonder people creating that because they perceive some sort of maybe threat. It may, it may not be the right word or, or just unease towards their religious experiences and, and the, or their religious upbringing, religious experience. And, and I mentioned that because I've noticed that a lot in some of the readings I've done and some of the places I've looked at when it comes to meditation, that there is some, you know, some of the things I've noticed and read about are about, you know, being that meditation is traditionally, um, at least with its origins, brought back more with Eastern culture and um, people view them as Eastern religions, right? That, oh, is it appropriate for Christians to meditate? And I just find that really interesting because then you can actually find like Christian meditation resources and Christian like ASMR resources um, or just general religious ASMR resources and not just ASMR, if that makes sense. Yeah, especially if you're um, rolling with a certain American Christian subset that has a hard time with anything that is not branded Christian. And mm -hmm. so we create a Christian version of it. I remember growing up going to the Sunshine Christian Bookstore and they'd have signs on their music section that was like, if you like Blink-182, then you'll love Reliant K, if you like. Mm. And then it was always like the Christianized equivalent of the scary secular thing that you wish you had. Instead of reading Stephen King, you read Frank Peretti. And, you know, we're, we're talking about angels and demons instead of monsters. It, there was always a Christianized version of something out of the fear that it will be a slippery slope into something pagan and scary. So you're always going to get that, you know, mm -hmm. when, when it comes to anything that's not explicitly Jesus focused. But uh, I think for the, for the most part, we've kind of been doing this without realizing it in religious circles for a long time. You think about, you mentioned the Tibetan singing bowls, all of the, the kind of droning chants that the church did for thousands of years are in many ways that. The rhythmic sounds and, and motions and the laying on of hands in lots of places, it's, it's a lot of this feels very familiar to me in, in mm -hmm. my church upbringing. Well, I mean, I, I think at least to my mind, one of the questions is how, how much people tie up their sense of what constitutes their religiosity with the nature of these physiological responses, right? Like I think the, the reaction that people have to ASMR in particular is, is sort of bound up in that. So like um, if, it's the, if it's the tingly feeling that's created by these religious experiences of droning or meditation, and suddenly now you can simulate that experience or create it again in a secular context, right? Like, and what's meaningful about that religious experience is the physiological reaction itself, then this becomes really threatening. Mm. Right? But if there's a sort of a certain degree of openness, right? Or that the the religious experience here isn't tied directly to the physiological response, it's, it's a part of what constitutes the religious experience, then you can have a very different reaction, um, I think, to ASMR. And that is something I think we've seen play out in a variety of any sort of like religion and name your cultural field that you want to sort of have that conversation mm -hmm. in, right? Like we could play that out in religion and science. We could play that out in interfaith dialogue in lots of different ways to sort of think about how people respond. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I do think ASMR does it in a very particular way that's so visceral that it, it invokes that response maybe more than in other like uh, categories. Yeah. And I think that that's true. Uh, I think though this question about um, like whether or not ASMR is something that most people people would consider a legitimate threat to like their religious experiences. I, I think it's not just, it's not just the physiological response. I mean, of course there are some religious traditions that have a, a greater emphasis or like place a higher importance on these like physiological experiences of, you know, like a, an experience of the Holy spirit or something that must be, 
felt in your body uh, that that happens. But a lot of the time for other religious people, if you have a, a heightened religious experience that has some sort of embodied element to it, that's just like bonus, you know, it's hmm. like, oh, I had this great mystical experience and it felt so powerful and it's like transformative, but not something that's mundane that you're going to feel like on a weekly basis or something. And so I feel like it's important to just put that out there that taking into account the differences of expectations of, uh, like embodied feeling in religious experiences, for some people that could be more or less threatening. But I think it, it's also, it's not just about the physiological response, but about like what that means. And for some people, so I'm thinking now of the way that um, Tanya Lerman, who is an anthropologist, uh, she wrote When God Talks Back. It's a pretty accessible book. Um, and one of the things that she describes in that book is this like classic Holy Spirit experience and how religious subjects will describe that experience as something that feels akin to electricity in the body. And I think this example in particular is really useful as a comparison to ASMR because some people would not see those two things as analogous, but an ASMR response I think, at least in my experience of it, I could see how someone might describe that as like a mild uh, feeling of electricity. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, you think about brain tingles and the feeling of electricity. It It's not that far off from one another, not necessarily the same, but it's, it's a close uh, and easy comparison, I think, to make. And so I'm thinking about people, people like that who Tanya Lerman is talking about, people who feel uh, religious experiences in an embodied way that match the physiological description of what an ASMR response is in particular. What I think can happen is that people who suddenly realize that you can fairly easily manipulate this response through this weird subculture on YouTube, um, suddenly the question is, for those people, uh, is the presence of God that I think I feel in my body just this like electricity that anybody can make me feel? And it's not, it's not so much anymore about like whether or not you feel something, but what the feeling means. And those are slightly different questions. And yeah, so I guess I just, just like circle back to a question from earlier is I'm curious to hear what y'all think about this issue. Do you, do you think that it makes sense for people to be concerned or feel like this is a reductionistic way of describing religious experiences? Or do you think that this, for religious practitioners, would be like an interesting thing that could uh, potentially like enrich someone's own like self-knowledge about their religious identity and belonging. Because just thinking about this academically, uh, of course, I'm like all about it because it's, I, I, I work a lot and read a lot of things that are fairly reductionistic. And just from my own like situatedness, I, I'm not offended by that. I understand like what that means. And I have my ways of like interpreting that uh, and trying to communicate that in a way that um, I feel is a little bit softened uh, whenever I'm talking to uh, religious people in particular. But it's just so interesting that there are these different ways to speak about like what presence means in the body and what, like, what different feelings that we have actually mean in a like philosophical or theological sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that, right? Like the reductionistic element of it doesn't bother me even a little bit. But I think that is also because I treat it in an academic way. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's actually like really exciting yeah. because now you suddenly have these avenues opened for talking about different structures of personal embodiment as it encounters religious experience, right? So that's like to me like where the, the element of like having the headphones in is really important, right? Like there's a physical change, an intentional change I have to make to the body in order to engage in this practice, right? That I think is really, really fascinating. However, right, I can also imagine that that would be deeply threatening for lots of folks if depending on how you sort of construct the meaning of those experiences and how that has been constructed for you in certain senses by different religious traditions. Um, so I'm, I'm sensitive to say like, no, clearly not everybody's going to be on that bandwagon. But I mean, I don't know. If I were like a somebody who is sort of like focuses like a pastor or practitioner, right? Like I would look at this and be like, this is super cool. There should be like a whole variety of rituals that could be developed out of my tradition that maybe we haven't been using or could be adapted because I know that there are these elements and ways in which we can generate physiological responses. Um, so, especially now. That feels super right. manipulative when I say it that way, but also- well, it, it strikes me that we <laughs> that many of us have a very tenuous connection to the divine. That, and and we're, we're all trying to figure out what we believe about something that we cannot see or touch or feel and that we're told to believe in and that we want to believe in and that we do believe in in some cases. And these sorts of mystical experiences where you can identify a bodily sensory mm -hmm. experience and give that a name and put and attribute it to the divine that you've never been able to experience before is almost it's it's this moment of validation that the thing that you've always hoped is true is true and i've experienced it and so i know in my bones it's true and so it is threatening then for somebody to elicit the same response with a hairbrush because at that point then you start wondering like oh okay I guess it was just, you know, something physiological and it wasn't actually God. You could also frame it in a way to say that this is the physiological mechanism by which God communicates. Mm -hmm. This is this is like your equivalent of the body's FM antenna to the divine. And this is <laughs> this is how God will send transmissions and here's That's the all I can see reason. now when I think about hairbrushes are <laughs> FM antennas. <laughs> FM antennas to God. You could go one or two ways, one of those two ways, I, uh, and probably a thousand others, but I can see it being threatening because it's the one physical experience you have of an otherwise totally ethereal faith. I like the idea, though, of if we understand the mechanism, then we can craft ritual around a mechanism we understand. Um, we see that a lot, actually, with, and this is something that is tangentially related, but I have found more helpful than ASMR is binaural beats. The the idea being that you have a, sol a, a pure electric sound at a certain frequency in one ear and another frequency that is off by a couple megahertz in the other ear. And the dissonance between the two creates a wave like an auditory illusion that your trains your brain to operate in this particular wavelength that mimics the wavelength of meditation or of hypnosis or of sleep or of creativity or whatnot that it it is a shortcut to get your brain moving in this direction and we talk about Tibetan singing bowls, they're not, there's always a bit of dissonance in that, or the group of people going, um, and there's always going to be a little bit of dissonance between the two. And uh, you listen to a lot of these religious relaxation videos. And in the background, if you have headphones on, you'll often notice a kind of wavering, um, and that's intentional 
to mimic that that brainwave. And one of the ways that you can illustrate what that actually sounds like um, is in my dulcimer. Um, dulcimers have uh, a drone strings where they're they're both D. So that's actually one one note, but in two strings. But if I turn one, do you start to hear a kind of wavering sound? But then it goes back to one sound. that's how we tune instruments is we try to turn the knob until the wavering goes away so instead of trying to make it go away we want to use it in a way that makes our brain feel tingles and simulates deep meditation to then give us a shortcut into deep meditation well i'm curious about something through this conversation and so can music especially like soundtrack scores you know teze type music is that also could that be considered a version of asmr and i know that stuff's been around for a lot longer but i'm just curious like this just shows how little i know about what makes something asmr yeah i would say that they are different, but working off of similar like neurological systems. And I, okay. I can't um, like lay out perfectly what happens in an experience of music that creates these like brain responses. But I know that people, the, the few articles that have been published on ASMR, they actually do compare it to musical, what's the phrase? Um, musical frisson, frisson. I don't know how to say that other word, but <laughs> I would have to look it up. Maybe we can just put it in the show notes, but they compare <laughs> it to this musical experience uh, that- send, send it to me if you find it yeah. right, and I'll put it in there. <laughs> but but as I understand it, they are um, different experiences. Okay. Okay. But you know, it's maybe, maybe somebody will publish something in a, a few years that says otherwise. Well, and one thing I keep coming back to as well. Sorry, Adam. You keep having these funny. No, no, I, I, just, I was laughing about it. Um, but you know, as we talked about, what, why does it potentially make people uncomfortable? And it's about the whole idea of intimacy. And you know, we're coming near the end of today's chat, so we don't need to get into this. But I think it that lends itself to having a conversation about what do what is the definition of intimacy, right? of looking at intimacy as something that's purely sexual. Is that an accurate definition of intimacy? No. That's what I think, right? There's more to it than that. Done. Taken care of. <laughs> right. We don't need to do an episode, no, we don't on, need an episode on that. Kendra explained it already. No. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I, but next, I, I, I think it's related, Ian. I, I, I do. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I think there's like an interesting – piece there. And, and to me, what's interesting, in part interesting about the ASMR writer is like, uh, Kendra, you'll know more about this than I would, right? But does it fall within like a certain family of neurological responses, mm -hmm. right? And like, could we, you know, like someone has done this. I, I know somebody must have done this, right? Like put this onto a spectrum of the sorts of neurological responses that occur that look at things like, like listening to music, ASMR, prayer, sexual intimacy, intimacy to find another way, right? Like, are we starting to see patterns that emerge? And that's part of what's both threatening and exciting about what goes on here. Hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. When oh, I God. see some researchers say that, you know, chocolate creates the same hormones in your brain as sex does, it doesn't make me feel threatened that sex isn't real. It just... Or that chocolate is sex. Also, yeah, they're not, not threatened. the same. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just understanding the I'm just physiological responses doesn't diminish <laughs> the cause so of them. many things I could have said. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to get in trouble with my wife. So <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey. 
<laughs> Say, honey, don't listen to this episode, please. Uh, I just, I'm sorry. Carry on. Carry on. Are you sure you're going to be able to do a whole episode about intimacy, Ian? I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm not buying that that's actually possible. Right now. No, I, we should I make could, that one that a live episode. Yeah, exactly. Force him to behave. Yeah. Nah. Another experience, though, that um, ASMR is uh, compared to is um, a flow state. Just like oh. speaking of different like neurological states. What's a flow um, state? Oh, a flow state. How can I say this in a way that sounds like more technical than just being in the zone? <laughs> because that's really like <laughs> the best way to put it casually is hey, that works for being me. in the zone, like this heightened sense of concentration and feeling like all of your energies are really just directed in this one direction. And so like, I think what you if you were to read about a flow state, you'll probably encounter something about athletes, the the way that people practice something over and over again, so that you're not actually putting deliberative thought into the action that you're performing. Your body just knows it and does it and you get in the zone and you have this uh, concentration that just, it, it all uh, feeds into uh, this performance. Um, and so that's why people often talk about athletes because they spend hours training to be, um, good at these embodied skills of, you know, running hand-eye coordination, all these things. Um, but you can also talk about flow states with all kinds of other skills like musicians, things like that. And, and so the reason that it's compared to ASMR, I think is because of, the way that when you watch an ASMR video, there's something similar about the concentration that's happening where all, especially if you're wearing headphones, watching an ASMR video, you're not concentrating on anything else except the the fingernails tapping in front of you. And the only thing you're hearing are those heightened, isolated sounds. And so there's a similar directing of your energies into this one narrow direction. And so for that reason, those two things are often compared um, as like eliciting, not that they elicit the same response, because obviously being in a flow state and having an ASMR response are pretty easily identifiable as different, but there's something similar that happens in the way that your body is focused, I guess, is the, the way that I would describe it. You could probably describe that sense of focus as a certain kind of intimacy also. Yeah. Right? That that like I mean it makes sense that that sits in in that sort of space. You're almost more intimate with a person doing an ASMR video than you typically are with a person that you're sitting on the couch with. Because how many of us have just gotten used to being distracted while we're with people? We're on our mm-hmm. on our phones or looking around the room or just thinking about something else, but when you've dedicated yourself to looking at a video and listening to just this there is a kind of laser focus that's we don't often offer to people in real life i'm also looking uh i looked up the article i'd read on the flow state the other uh element that is similar across those two states is um like a feeling of passivity Mm -hmm. like something is happening automatically um Mm. That's part of it. Well, there's a religious connection for you. The yeah, that's true. Possession of a spirit goes back a long, long way. Kendra, do you have any final, final thoughts or? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> can you can you whisper too while you're doing it? I prefer to do this instead. This has been episode 41 of the Down the Wormhole podcast. Thank you for making us a part of your spiritual and intellectual journey. We'd honestly love to get to know you better. So make sure you check out the Down the Wormhole Conversations Facebook group. Also, a huge thanks to our supporters on Patreon, whose generous donations have finally enabled us to upgrade how we record this podcast and dramatically simplified my life. 
So personally, thank you. Also make sure you check out downthewormhole.com for show notes and contact information as well as previous episodes and further reading. Next week, we are so excited to bring you the one and only Scott Sampson, or as you may know him, Dr. Scott, the paleontologist from Dinosaur Train, Dinosaur Train. And despite our uh, collective love for that show, our conversation actually focuses a lot more on helping children to fall in love with the natural world, on re-enchanting the cosmos and creating a positive narrative for a future that we can rally behind. He is deeply interested in how religion, science, technology, and society can all be reimagined as collaborators. It was such a great conversation, so make sure you watch your podcast feeds. And until then, friends, stay safe, be well, and remember...